who knows? Uh, in case we haven't met, my name is Josh Mudder. I'm the lead pastor here at West Heights, and whether you're joining us here in person or you're joining us online, we're glad to be uh, worshiping and learning together as a church community. Um, I'm going to highlight a couple other things here. Uh, a few weeks ago, we had an event called Halloween for Hunger that we've been doing for a number of years now, and this is an opportunity for us as a church community to partner with our neighborhood to support the Food Bank of Waterloo Region. And uh, we do this because we know food insecurity is a real, real concern, and we want to do something that, to help. And so we did Halloween for Hunger on Halloween, and I want to let you know how we did. Uh, with our neighbors, we collected over 2,500 pounds of food, and some of us were here that night, and we're like, is this more or less than we got last year? It's more. The answer, Doug, is we got more food this year than we got last year. Uh, and we raised over $1,700 worth of funds on the online fundraiser. And so altogether, that's about 5,400 meals. That's what the food bank says that we were able to do in conjunction, partnership with our neighbors uh, to help uh, our, 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 our region as we kind of wrestle with this food insecurity thing. And it's just one thing that we can do to help. Yeah, it's a big deal. We've been doing this for 17 years, and this is one of the top three most impactful Halloween for Hungers that we've had. So, like, thank you so much for your participation, for coming, for being volunteers, for hanging out, for going door to door, for, for packaging up the, uh, the food items when they came in. Thank you for your donations, bringing food in, and for maybe your financial contributions. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It makes a big difference. Another way that we have an opportunity to make a difference is through our anniversary offering that uh, Brian talked about a couple weeks ago, and you got a letter in, in, in email to you, uh, I think last week or the week before. Um, see, we recognize that there are lots of things going on in our region, lots of opportunities for us to help out, and we want to know, hey, how can we help? And there's some good organizations doing some good things, and A Better Tent City is one of those organizations that is doing some amazing work uh, to help with housing and a sense of community. Uh, a sense of belonging for about 50 individuals who are experiencing chronic homelessness in our region. And uh, so as a, as a church board, we sat down and thought, you know, what would be a wonderful way of expressing who we are as a church community, a way of celebrating 45 years of doing good ministry together? Well, why don't we support an organization or invite us as a congregation to, to support an organization who's doing some necessary work in our community? And so we're inviting each of us to consider giving to a better tent city. Uh, you can do that directly using the links that we emailed out. Uh, you'll even see that in our newsletter this morning. We are not facilitating or handling the donations. We're asking you to give directly to a better tent city. Um, and when you do that, in the memo on your check or on the online donation form, write West Heights anniversary. And it's just one way that we can together be celebrating who we are as a church community. And let me say that if you're on the CBC news site this morning, you will see that there's a story about better tent city and about the need that they have for, for funding. And so this is a real need that we can step into in a way that we can support some good things happening in our neighborhood. So let's do this with West Heights. As we prepare for our teaching time, let's just pause and for a short word of prayer, and then we'll get into what we want to talk about this morning. Lord Jesus, we want to say thank you for your presence here. Lord, thank you for how you've been at work in our singing, how you've been at work in the conversations that we've had with one another. Lord, we acknowledge that we come to this place with a whole variety of experiences and emotions of this week, Lord, and we we're headed into a week where we maybe aren't sure what to expect. And so, God, in this moment, we ask that you would quiet our minds, that, Lord, you would calm our hearts. And Lord, that we would be aware of how you are speaking to us today. Lord Jesus, we are listening. 
Amen. There was a, a morning this week where I was doing something in our garage while the kids were playing hockey in our driveway before school, um, and it was, but it wasn't one of those days where they were playing well with each other. Rather, it was one of those times where you could feel the tension in, that, in their play. You could feel it. See, they both had different ideas for how that play was supposed to go and what, of course, the other person was supposed to be doing while they were playing, and neither one of them were doing a great job of listening to the other person. And so the result was that their voices got louder and louder and louder, and uh, you know, their body language became more and more animated until eventually somebody threw something and somebody else stormed off on the verge of tears. In short, nobody was happy. You know, in our relationships, we are going to have moments like these when we are going to have different ideas about what needs to happen, about what might be right or wrong in, in various situations, or, or what another person should be doing with their life. And to make matters worse, we aren't always great at listening, are we? And if we were able to step back in those moments, we would likely see that nobody, including us, are happy about how things are going. You know, I don't think any of us want our relationships to be like that, do we? Rather, I believe that, that what we want, what we crave, are healthy relationships. And you know what? That is true regardless of whether you are a person of faith or not. And so if you are somebody who's been following along with our series this, over the past nine, ten weeks, and you are not somebody who is a person of faith, I, I firmly believe that there are things that we've talked about that you can apply to your relationships, and your relationships will be better as a result. Now, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, there's a little bit something more in what we've been talking about here. See, Jesus calls those of us who are followers of Jesus to be a part of bringing God's hopes and dreams of reconciliation into being through our relationships. We can call this peacemaking. And so, if you are a follower of Jesus, pursuing healthier relationships isn't just something about making our lives better, isn't just about us being happier, but is a part of our calling to be a part of how God is making this world a better place. And so today we are wrapping up our Peaceful Practices series by looking specifically at, at, at what this approach to reconciliation might look like in a church setting, in a community like ours. But before we get there, I just want to say thank you uh, to, to those of you who submitted some feedback. A couple weeks ago, I said, hey, tell me what you think about this series, and a number of you did. And what we heard was that, that this is speaking to some really real-life situations that some of us are, are dealing with. You know, it's speaking to the, that tense family situation where we aren't really sure how things are going. And, and through this series, we've been given a new way of thinking about how do we approach some difficult conversations in our families. Or what, another thing that came up was, this is giving us new ideas for how we can improve conversations or, or communication with our kids. That can be hard. Regardless of how old our kids are, communication can be hard and we need some tools. And for some of us, we found that helpful. For others of us, we named the fact that, that we have been challenged to listen better in the conversations that we find ourselves in. That when faced with the opportunity or the circumstances where we are hearing somebody express something that we don't agree with, or maybe they have a perspective we don't have, or their system of beliefs is different than ours, that we have been challenged to, to take a deep breath and to enter into those conversations differently than perhaps we would have before. You know, it's my hope that everything that we've talked about will continue to sit with us as we go forward and will continue to inspire and, and flavor the relationships that we have and will indeed bring peace into life through us 
in our communities, in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools. This is the challenge for those of us who are followers of Jesus. Now, if you've been a part of a church community for any period of time, like I'm talking about days, weeks, decades, forever, you likely have had the experience yourself or heard a story of conflict in a church, haven't you? Right? You know, where two or three are gathered, Jesus is there, but the likelihood of conflict is also very present, okay? You know, and the good news is, is that everything that we've talked about over the past couple weeks can help us, help us become a church that has a culture that affirms and invites dialogue amidst differences because differences inevitably will come up when we are a community like we are. And so today we're going to be looking at a time in the life of the early church where they had to work through a very significant difference of opinion. And I can say it's not just a difference of opinion, it's a difference of theological belief. And in the end, what we're going to do is we're going to identify some of the things that could be helpful for us as a community when we find ourselves in those seasons when we are bravely seeking to navigate conflict and divisive differences together. And so the big idea that we're exploring this morning is that the Holy Spirit can reveal creative solutions that seem unimaginable. The Holy Spirit can reveal creative solutions that seem unimaginable. And so to guide our time this morning, we're going to Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through grace of our Lord, through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. You know, this passage tells us of a story uh, of this church, the early church, working through a rather significant difference of opinion, difference of belief. See, as the church grew, it began to reach folks who were not Jewish. Those folks are known as being Gentiles. See, up until now, most of the Christians, uh, who, people who came to faith in Jesus, were people who had similar backgrounds, had similar systems of belief, had, sim- had a similar culture, but things were changing. And now there were these people who were becoming Christians who had previously been people on the outside looking in, and this meant that they were running into differences. And those differences were leading to conflict. 
And in Acts chapter 15, the main difference that was the practice of circumcision. And this was a big deal because for some folks, what was at stake here was somebody's salvation. Now, before we go any further, I think we need just to reflect on this for a moment because for, for many of us, we might find ourselves thinking, hey, this is a silly argument because for us, circumcision is a, an elective medical procedure. And most of us have not been a part of communities or cultures that have had in their thinking that this is about somebody's salvation. But think about the nature of conflict for a moment. You know, often the sources of our conflict look silly to somebody on the outside looking in, don't they? But to those on the inside, it feels like it's a significant issue that, it, that, that has so much at stake if we go in the wrong direction. It might look silly to some people, but it's really super serious and we got to get it right to others. You know, somebody from our church family lent me a book of meeting minutes from, from the BIC, that's our denomination, and these meeting minutes were dating back to 1892, okay? It's a fascinating book, and I feel like I should have gloves when I'm turning the pages. Um, and I found myself, as I was reading this, because I'm a nerd like this and I will read it, um, I found myself laughing because back at one point, there was a serious concern about whether you could be a Christian and have a life insurance policy. You know, the question was, you know, if you are somebody who's committed to Jesus, shouldn't you trust him enough so you don't need a life insurance policy? And it was a serious conversation about whether or not you could, you could hold these two things together. Now, today, insurance might not, life insurance might not be the conversation it once was, but there are other topics of conversation that will have folks wondering whether you can be a Christian and have a difference of opinion on these matters. Conversations like the role of women in the church, or science, evolution, and creation, or what mode of baptism is correct, or sexuality and gender. Now, I'm not meaning to suggest that these aren't important conversations to have, nor am I suggesting that, you know, it would be wrong for us to try to figure out how we were going to answer these questions. But what I'm trying to get us to do is understand the significance of what is happening, what the, the significance of the question that is being asked in, to the early church. See, they are wrestling with something that would have felt absolutely massive. And for a lot of people, everything hinged on it. Now, what's interesting is that despite how significant this issue is, that in the end, they seem to come to a consensus, which represents a pretty significant shift in their thinking. And we're going to look at how they got there as we continue talking this morning. Now, the passage begins by referring to certain individuals who have traveled to an area where there's a, a number of Gentile Christians, and they were telling people that they had to be circumcised. And based on how the story is told, I think it's fair for us to assume that these people were, were a part of that, that group of Pharisees that are mentioned in verse 5. Now, most of the time, we connect the Pharisees with the Jewish religion when we read through the New Testament. And you know what? That, that's absolutely correct. And we should have that in mind here as well. But we also need to keep in mind that at this point in history, Christianity really hadn't emerged as its own religion. Rather, it had these strong connections to Judaism, and there were folks who were connected to the school of thought, the school of teaching of the Pharisees, who were also followers of Jesus. And because the Pharisees were people who thought very highly of the law of Moses and understood that Christianity had emerged from Judaism, it was natural for some of these folks to include in their teaching that new converts had to also follow the law of Moses, which would have included the practice of circumcision, and all this in addition to following Jesus. But Paul and Barnabas, 
They'd been instrumental in, in leading these Gentiles to, to Jesus. And they find themselves saying, wait, 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 this doesn't feel right. And so they debate these certain individuals. And at some point, they realize that, you know what we need to do is we need to get more people involved. And so they set off to Jerusalem to have this discussion with the apostles and the elders to go to the source of power, the decision makers, and say, let's talk this out. Now, I think it's significant that Paul and Barnabas don't go to Jerusalem just themselves. The text tells us that they took some others with them. And we don't know who these folks are, but some have suggested that these other folks that went with them are likely Gentiles. You know, these are people who, who had been impacted the most by this discussion. And if this is the case, then we aren't, we aren't just seeing Paul and Barnabas being allies speaking up on behalf of the Gentile Christians, but they are widening the conversation to include voices that might otherwise have been excluded. And you know what, as we think about how we navigate hard conversations as a church, this is a good thing for us to think about. You know, it's good to ask, who should be a part of this conversation? And to ask, who has previously been excluded from this conversation, who should be included in this conversation? See, a healthy process involves putting more chairs around the table so that it better represents the diversity that's present in the larger community so that we can benefit from other perspectives. And when we do this, we are making space for people to feel valued, to feel represented, to, to feel engaged and invested. And I think that if we make this an ongoing practice, what it actually does is it might help us avoid some, some conflicts that can arise when we have a very limited number of people sitting around the table. When we have a very limited perspective, we broaden that, we might actually avoid some of the troubles that we get ourselves into. Now, when they get to Jerusalem... When they get to Jerusalem, there is this meeting where Paul and Barnabas and these others give their missions report to, uh, of what's going on with the Gentiles, the missions work, report of, of the work with the Gentiles, and it seems to be cordially received. Now, it's not just their perspective that's heard, and that's a, actually a good thing. Rather, we're told in verse 5 that, that those who are part of this school of thought, the Pharisee school of thought, they also have an opportunity to speak. And they share their conviction that for a Gentile to come to faith, that they, in essence, have to become a, a Jewish, they have to become Jewish first. And circumcision is the sign of becoming Jewish. And then they can be saved by faith in Jesus. Now, again, it might be easy for us to dismiss this, but this line of thinking would have made sense given their experience. They were Jewish, Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. And so to become a Christian was a continuation of their Jewish faith. And so therefore, it made sense to them that other people would have to go through the same process that they themselves went through if they wanted to be saved by, saved by faith in Jesus. Now, after hearing both sides, verse 6 tells us that the apostles and the elders, they stepped aside to, to, to discuss and to consider what they'd just heard. They'd heard the reports, and now they were going to step off to the side to really sit with it and to think about it. And after a period of, of considerable discussion, Peter speaks. And he, and he speaks from his own experience. That God had spoken to him and told him to go and take this message of Jesus to the Gentiles. And not only did, had he been directed to go, but Peter also shares what he has seen. That the Gentiles had also received the Holy Spirit. And if that isn't proof, you know, that should be proof enough that they'd been accepted by God. That they'd received the Holy Spirit just like everybody else had. And based on this, Peter asked the question, why should they expect the Gentiles to adhere to the law of Moses? 
And there's a nice little, I don't know, I want to say dig here, comment here. He's like, we can't handle the law of Moses. Why are we giving it to them? You know, clearly God had shown up in the lives of these Gentiles without all the rules of the law. And this speech is the turning point. It seems to end the debate. And the assembly sits and they listen to Paul and Barnabas again share what God has been doing in the lives of these Gentiles. And the end result is significant because in the end, they give a new set of instructions. And we didn't read this part of the, past, this part of the story, but they gave a new set of instructions to those who are ministering to the Gentiles. In recognition of the fact that God, is clearly, God clearly has a heart for the Gentiles and they are coming to faith, we are changing our ideas, our requirements of what it means to, to be a Christian from here on out. And the requirements to fulfill all of the law of Moses is dropped. There's a couple little minor things that are left there. But the requirement of circumcision, gone. And again, we need to appreciate how big of a deal this was. It's a big deal because it meant a change of theology for some. I mean, they had discussed, they had evaluated, they felt prompt by the Holy Spirit to rethink something that at one point had been so central to how they understood God, how they understood Scripture, how they understood themselves. That's a big deal. And it's a big deal for others because it acknowledged the genuineness of their faith. You know, at one point, their commitment to Jesus had been questioned. They'd been seen as second rate. Maybe you don't have it all figured out. And right now, they're being included and saying, no, you are a part of the family proper. Welcome. That's a big deal. In the mid-90s, the, the church my family attended started a youth worship band. I think this was a trend in the mid-90s that you had to have a youth worship band. And there was a bunch of us that played instruments very poorly, but we were the youth worship band. But the one problem, yeah, you're like, I see, yeah, I see that hand. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> how many of us learned how to play an instrument very badly at the youth worship band? A couple? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Don't be ashamed. That's how most of us became musicians and then dropped out later. All right. Let's get back on track. We, but the problem is we didn't have a drummer. We didn't have a drummer, uh, and we needed, we needed one, apparently. But then there's this new kid who came to our youth group who was a drummer. His name was Jared. He came, and he, he, wanted to be a part of, uh, uh, he wanted to be a part of our youth worship band, and that was great because all we had was an organ and a piano. I think that's what, Je- what people thought Jesus played back in the day, so that's all we had. But now he brought his kid, his kid of drums with us, and that was awesome. We were ready to go, uh, except we weren't because some people had a problem with the drums. And I wish I was making up this story. You see, drums are a little bit too close to rock and roll. And we weren't sure what we thought about that. And not only that, but Jared's drums were red. And do you know who's red? (laughs) Satan. (laughs) Satan's red. Okay? And uh, we weren't sure. Again, I wish I was making this up. But I'm not. Some of you were there, anyways, and felt this on other sides. And, and you, for some folks, genuinely in that church community, there was, this was a no way. We can't do this. This is not okay. And for others of us, and I was 15 at the time, so I was like, oh, get over it. That was, my, that was my response. You know, as a church, we are going to encounter problems, and we are going to encounter conflicts where we are going to be tempted to polarize. And to have moments where we say, no way, we're not even going to go there, we're not going to have this conversation, Mm-mm, stop. And other of, others of us are going to be really tempted to say, come on, stop being such a stick in the mud. Get with the program. How we en- engage these conversations matter. It really does. 
And so as we close this morning, I want to draw out five things from these pas- this passage that I'm hoping can help us as we encounter things that are potentially divisive as a church community. The first is, don't rush it. Don't rush it. Take your time. As we read Acts 15, we can do all of Acts 15 in just a few moments. It won't take us long. And that doesn't help us appreciate how long this process likely took. Paul and Barnabas were, were likely traveling by foot as they went from Antioch to Jerusalem. And that, made a, that would have taken a while. And they made a couple stops along the way. This is not a fast process. And it should remind us that healthy conversations take time. And they take time because conflict and division is complicated. You know, we need time to reflect on our perspectives. We need time to reflect on the perspectives of somebody else. We need time to process our emotions and how that's all tangled up into how we feel about something. We need time for a discussion to take place. We need time for the Holy Spirit to work in us to potentially reveal something new to us. You know, I appreciate that verse 7 tells us that after much discussion, after they talked and they talked and they talked and they talked and they talked, that's when Peter speaks up. You know, we need to appreciate that conversations like this take time and they deserve time. Second, location matters. You know, it's important for us to keep in mind the space that we have these conversations in can influence the conversations that take place. You know, Paul, Barnabas, and these others, they wanted to talk this over with the apostles and with the elders and for the church to really wrestle with this. And so what they did is they traveled to the center of power. They traveled to Jerusalem for this discussion. It is unlikely that this discussion would have been as influential and as productive if it had happened in Antioch. And so location matters. Now, at the same time, it is wise to recognize that it isn't always a good idea to go to the center of power. Sometimes having conversations in the, ma- in the margins is a much more productive place for conversations to take place. And so there's no one-size-fits-all approach here, but we need to keep in mind that location matters. And as silly as it sounds, so does what our conversational gatherings look like in those locations. You know, a conversation at a boardroom table communicates one thing. A conversation that happens in an annual general meeting here communicates something else. A conversation that happens when we have comfortable chairs and with cups of coffee and we're sitting in a circle, that says a whole other thing. Our location matters. Third, avoid polarities. You know, it's easy in hard conversations to slide into us versus them thinking. It really is. And you know what? I had a conversation recently with somebody about what, something that was going on in their church community. It was a different set of church communities than ours. And they found themselves saying, you know what? We're just waiting for the bad people to leave, insinuating that they were the good people, right? You know, that way of thinking doesn't set us up for success. In fact, it predicts division. A good process, though, on the other hand, brings people together. And I actually think we see this in what Peter says. You know, Peter bridges the gap of these two sides. And he avoids that, that us versus them language. And instead, he uses we. He uses terms that kind of draw people together. And he's inviting people to, to their vision. You know, we have this vision to see people come to Jesus. We have this vision to see people transformed by the Holy Spirit. He's inviting people to come together and to be on mission together. And a healthy, a, healthy, um, a healthy conversation invites people to find similarities and to go below the surface to really identify the values and needs that draw people together 
rather than the things that push people apart. Fourth, tell stories. A big part of what we see happening in Acts chapter 15 is the testimony of Paul and Barnabas. It, it happens at the beginning and it happens at the end. You know, they share what they've seen God doing in the lives of these Gentiles. And when telling these stories, it is opening up the possibility for others to get a sense of what the Holy Spirit might be doing. That maybe the Holy Spirit can, be, can do something that we thought was unimaginable, unthinkable before. You know, telling stories is an important part of having a healthy, transformative dialogue when it gets into conflict. You know, when we stick to facts, we very easily miss the person sitting across from us. It's easy to other them when we stick to the facts. Rather, a good process allows us to share our stories, our experiences, our insights, what we are learning. At the same time, it invites us to listen when other people share things with us. Lastly, welcome creativity. You know, it's hard not to see Peter as having a significant impact on what happens here. But to understand what, what Peter says, we have to go back to Peter's experience in Acts chapter 10. And in Acts chapter 10, Peter has this dramatic vision from God where God basically tells him to let go of all of his Jewish ideas that are keeping him from going and taking the message of Jesus to the Gentiles. Let go of all that. And Peter goes on this journey of discovery that is led by the Holy Spirit where Peter is shown new possibilities. And by referring to this experience, Peter is calling those present to be paying attention to the creativity of the Spirit to do things that were previously unimaginable. You know, the best group dialogues are the ones that create space for the creativity of the Holy Spirit to come through. See, when we're relying on the Holy Spirit, we can find ourselves discerning new possibilities discerning new next steps, and even new directions in, in, in things that seemed unthinkable at another time and in another place. You know, as we conclude this series this morning, I want us to imagine how pursuing peace, how engaging our relationships like we've been talking about here this morning can make a difference can make a real-life difference in our real-life life relationships. And in particular, I would like us to imagine what would it mean if we as a church we're committed to engaging in hard conversations like we've talked about this morning. What would, that, what would the difference be if we did this? You know, we know that there are people in our lives who want nothing to do with church and are skeptical of Christians. And in many cases, if, if we really listen to them, we might find ourselves saying, I get it. If I had the experience that you had, I would come to the same conclusions that you are. I, I, I might, might likely be skeptical of Christians too. I might not enter a church again as well if I had the experience that you had. And one of the things that we might hear is how church communities like ours have not handled differences of, of opinion or discussions on various topics well. Now, again, I'm not saying that, that these conversations are, are not important. I'm not saying that we should avoid having hard conversations. And I'm, and I'm not saying that we should never come to conclusions on some of these hard conversations. But unfortunately, it's not uncommon to hear stories where these conversations haven't been handled well. And the perception is that as followers of Jesus, as a church, we should be able to do better. And you know what? I agree. We should be able to do better. And so what if we could do better? What difference would that make in the lives of us, the lives of our kids? What would it say to our neighbors? 
What would it say to our coworkers or to, to those people in our lives who are genuinely spiritually seeking, but you know what, they aren't really sure what they think of this? What would it say to them? You know, how we handle division and conflict matter is a part of our testimony to the world about who Jesus is and what Jesus is all about. And when we rely on the Holy Spirit, I believe that these conflicts can be transformed and that we're going to find things. We are going to find ways that are, are new and unimagined and at one point would have seemed unthinkable. Let's do this together. Please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you again for, for being you, for being the God who desires peace, the God who has a heart for reconciliation. Lord, that you have a heart for people who are on the outside looking in. God, we are grateful for that. Lord, as we engage our relationships, we ask that you would inspire us to be people who are working for your reconciliation and your peace. Lord, that you would help us to ask good questions and to listen well. And Lord, as a community, as we encounter, and we will encounter hard conversations, as we encounter difficult topics, as we encounter problems and, and interpersonal conflicts, would you help us to, 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 to not avoid these things, Lord, but to engage them in a way that reflects your love and your care for people? Lord, help us to create space where conversations can happen. Give us the grace to listen. Give us the gentleness of sharing our thoughts. Give us the ability uh, to listen to the stories and experience of others. And Lord, would you give us a sensitivity to discern how your spirit is leading. Leading us to rethink things, to imagine things being different. How your spirit is leading us to understand scripture. How your spirit is leading us to be more like Jesus. Lord, we, want, we have people in our lives who, they need to know you. Lord, would you use us, would you use us as individuals and as a community to, to, to draw people to you, that they might see your love and your, your radical acceptance and grace in us, and that they might want to know more. In your name we pray, amen.